I'm so thankful this morning that our Savior has all authority. I am thankful that he is in charge and nothing takes him by surprise. I, I invite you to take your Bibles, your electronic devices, whatever you're using to join me over into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter. Today was supposed to be different. <laughs> Over a year ago, as a, a staff, we had started planning for our 25th anniversary, and we were going to have a three-week celebration. And this was supposed to be the first week of that celebration. And we had some big things that were planned that we were going to do that as a body just to celebrate and just so that we could have fellowship with one another, be around one another. I wish we could do that, but we can't. And so we have changed all of our plans. We're not having the big blowout we had planned two weeks from now where we were going to feed you all and we were going to have all kinds of fun things for the kids and even some fun things for the adults as we would celebrate God's goodness to us. But we give thanks to him. You know, we make our plans, but God rules and God guides. And I don't know about you, but I've discovered many times in my life God has changed the direction in which I'm going. Are we? No, we're not. Let's try it. It helps if I turn the mic on. <laughs> that wasn't on the guys in the back. Uh, let me get rid of this earpiece as well. Give that to Jeff there. Hey, let's give a hand to Jeff, the guy who week after week is uh, back there with the rest of our sound team. Uh, you know, we only notice them when something goes wrong. When everything's going right, it's like they don't even exist back uh, there. But we are very appreciative uh, for them and for the work that they do. So the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is talking about giving thanks as he remembers. And so we're going to look this morning at giving thanks. Now, Nathan kind of took us down uh, memory road there in talking about some of the things from the past. But as your pastor, I want to say a few things about the past as well. I'll never forget that first service in Springfield High School. We met together not knowing whether we were going to have a church or not have a church, but God had a plan for us as a church to come into existence. I'm never going to forget 
when we as a church still back at Springfield had to go from one service to two services. Uh, I can remember the elders meeting in which those of you who don't know me well, I'm a charger. So if there's a direction I think the Lord wants us to go in, I'm ready to be there today. Not next week, not next month, let's just charge. So we knew we were grow, outgrowing that first service, and so we had to have a second service. So I came into the elders meeting with a proposal of us going to the second service. And our elders doing their role as they should, they were asking all kinds of questions. How is this going to work? How's that going to work? How's this going to work? Now, I had already brainstormed this with my whole staff. So matter what they asked, I had an answer for them. And right in the meeting, Don Anderson, one of our elders, started laughing. I'm having this intense discussion, and he's sitting next to me laughing. And I said, Don, what is so funny? He says, Butch, I have no doubt, there's no question we're going to ask you tonight that you're not going to have some answer for. Uh, the problem is, you're the only one that has those answers. And unless you want 500 people calling you weekly about what we're supposed to do, you need to share those plans with the rest of us. No one here is against going to two services. But your idea of doing that next week, it's just not going to work. And we worked through all of that. And God continued to bless us. And we grew. I remember our first service in this church that uh, Nathan talked about. Now, I can remember saying to our elders as we were leaving Springfield High School, I said, you know what, when we come into the building, let's just have one service. We've been in two services. Let's bring everybody together in one service, and then they will see that we need to have two services, uh, even when we're in the building. And the elders shot that idea down. And it's a good thing they did because that Sunday, both services were packed. There was no place. And some of you are here. That was your first Sunday in coming to our church was the Sunday that we moved into this building. And I'll also never remember that or never forget that morning. Jerry Harpool, who was the associate pastor, when I came into the building and we were talking, he says, Butch, did you see what God's done this morning? It's like he's put his Shekinah glory over the auditorium. There's this huge cloud. The skies are blue everywhere else, but right over the auditorium is this cloud. It's like it's going to descend upon us when we are in the service. And I said, Jerry, that's not the Shekinah glory from God. That's the exhaust from our bus that we, <laughs> that we sent out. It burnt so much oil, that, and it was true. There was a huge white cloud all over the top of this building uh, <laughs> that morning, but not the Shekinah glory. Uh, as your <laughs> pastor, uh, I remember the incredible unity we've had over these 25 years. I remember ministry alongside that first staff and all the other staff members that have come through this church. All of them has had some type of impact on this body, in making this body what it is today. And I remember that one of those original staff members has beat the rest of us to heaven. 
that Pastor Steve Marshall is in the presence of the Lord. And one day we will join him uh, there. I remember the baptism, and in particularly the Sunday in which we baptized over 70 people in a service, giving glory to God for life change, public profession of faith. I remember, and I want to thank you for your incredible giving throughout these 25 years. In the entire history of our church, in 25 years, we've only had one brief period of time in which cash flow was a problem for us as a church. And God brought us through that. And your faithful giving, week by week, month by month, year by year, has provided for the staff here and for the work that is done in our community and the work that is done around the world. As Pastor Nathan mentioned, over $10 million has been given to missions. 20% of our income goes to missions. And because of that, as you heard several weeks ago from, from Steve Larson, there are people in Myanmar that pray for this church because we've touched their lives. There are people in China who pray for this church. In Thailand, there are people in South America. There are people all around the world who have been impacted by this ministry. Some of you have been on mission trips to these places, and you have seen our brothers and sisters in those different countries and how thankful they are for the impact that you, as a part of this body, has had in their lives. As I look back, I remember and I give thanks for all the elders who have served in this body, helping to provide direction and guidance, and elders who let the senior pastor lead, but do their job as elders to hold me accountable, because all of us need someone that will hold us accountable. I remember the laughter and the celebrations, and I remember what God has done here through faith that we have in him, through the hope that we have in him, for the love that we have for one another, and foremost and utmost, the love that we have for our God and for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, when he talks about the saints in Thessalonica, would call them his crown of rejoicing. And you are my crown of rejoicing as a body of believers. And I thank you very much. 25 years of serving here as your pastor, and they have been a good and blessed 25 years. Now, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is going to thank, Paul is going to talk about giving thanks, and first of all, he's going to talk about giving thanks for what he remembers. See, Paul is thankful when he thinks of the church at Thessalonica, not because they were fans of his. 
If you read chapter 2, you'll find that the Apostle Paul was defending himself and his actions to the church in Thessalonica. Paul is thankful for the church, not because they were morally impeccable. If you read over in chapter 4, you will find that there are doctrinal areas that, or there were practical areas that he had to address with the church, moral issues. And then Paul is not thankful for this body because they are completely doctrinally accurate because he has to correct some of those beliefs that they have that are out of line with what they should have. But he is thankful, first of all, for what he remembers. Follow along with me as we read the first uh, three verses. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, as he remembers the Thessalonians, he gives thanks for what he remembers. And he talks about, first of all, their work of faith. Now, what is interesting is the book of 1 Thessalonians is probably the oldest book in the New Testament. There might have been a book that was written before it, but most scholars think that this was the very first book in the New Testament that was written. And Paul here in this book talks about, as he addresses the church, their faith, their hope, and their love. Some of you will remember from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great love chapter in the Bible, that there the Apostle Paul writes and says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, what is interesting, as Paul writes to the different churches in his different letters, he addresses these three things with those churches, their faith, their hope, and their love. And at times he commends them in one of these areas. In other churches, he'll talk about one of those areas that they need to grow in. But it's about their faith, their hope, and their love. And here in the earliest epistle, the first that Paul has written, did you see those themes there? The themes of faith, hope, and love. He's thankful for them because when he remembers, he remembers in verse 3 their work of faith. True faith works. We are not saved. We are not saved by works that we do. We are saved by the grace of God through faith. But when we are saved, we show our faith by what we do. That's kind of the theme of the whole book of James, where James will, will say, you know, you show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by 
my works. And that faith without works is dead. So true faith works. And the Apostle Paul says to them in verse 3, he re remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, their laboring. You know, this church would not exist 25 years later if we didn't have a congregation that was working, that was working out their faith serving in many different areas according to the giftedness that God has given to each and every one of us. True faith works. And Paul, looking back at the Thessalonians, says, I remember the work of your faith. He also remembers the labor of love. Now, the word that's used for labor is a word that means to the very point of exhaustion. You are going to labor in love. See, this is the type of love that we have for one another. It's a love that causes us to work. Have you ever noticed that some people are hard to love? Now, don't look at your spouse. There is a labor that has to be done for this love to be maintained and going on. And the Apostle Paul, and interestingly enough, Paul only spent three Sabbath days in this church. So he was only there for either, you know, something like 15 to 21 days in which he labored bringing the gospel to the city of Thessalonica. That is after he had left uh, the city of Philippi as he was uh, kind of ushered out of town there. And he comes over to Thessalonica. Notice also he talks about their steadfastness of hope in verse 3. The word for steadfastness means long-suffering. It means endurance. It means, carries along with it, the idea of patience, your steadfastness of hope. And the hope that we have is not like the hope of the world. When the world uses the word hope, they're using it in terms of wishful thinking. You know, they might say, I hope the sun comes out today and we don't have any more rain. That would be wishful thinking, looking. It may happen, it may not happen. Today. But the hope of the scriptures is a hope that is based on something that is going to occur. It's not that it might occur. We have hope in our God. We have hope in the return of Jesus. We have hope and confidence in him. And Paul, as he remembers this group, in Thessalonica, he remembers their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. Secondly, not only is he thankful for what he remembers, he's also thankful for what he knows. Look at that in verses 4 and 5. For we 
No. Brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So what are the things that Paul gives thanks for that he knows? Well, first of all, he knows that God loved them. He knows that the believers there are loved by God. And I hope as a church we know that God loves us. You know, there are some of you who are struggling, some of you watching from home may be struggling right now with this whole concept of knowing that God loves you. You may be watching this live stream from a facility that you have been placed into, and you're battling with depression because your family is not able to come and see you as you like. You're wondering, does God still love me? Paul wanted to say he gives thanks to God because he knows these believers are loved. There are some who may be alone at home, and you can't be with the people you want to be with, and you're not having the fellowship that you would want, and in some cases that you desperately need in your life, but God is there with you, and he loves you. He is not going to leave you or forsake you. There's some of you within this body who struggle with your image of self-worth, and all your life you've had voices that have beat you down, beat you down, beat you down, and especially in this current in environment, you are wrestling with who you are. Well, let me reassure you, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you are a child of God. He loves you, and he is there with you. And it's important that you not lose that concept that God loves you. But not only does he love them, but also in verse 4, we're told that he chose them. Salvation is a work that begins with God. Salvation is a work that the Spirit of God works in our lives with. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have been chosen by him and adopted into his family. You're a child of his, and he wants you. I can remember a friend of mine who was in his 40s when he learned that he was adopted. It had been hidden from him his entire life. And at that point in time, he went into a real crisis. And as I talked with him, I encouraged him to focus on the fact that his mom and dad loved him and that they chose to have him into their home and to raise him and to provide for him. 
Friends, you're a child of God. Paul knows that God has chosen you. And I give thanks to God for that very thought. I can remember as I travel around the world in different places and I see the conditions there and I see the struggles of our believers in other lands. I would go back to my hotel room at night and I think on every single trip I've been someplace else. I just pray to God and thank God for the blessings that he has given to me. Why do I not have to struggle in the ways that they struggle? God has a plan, and God has placed you where you are according to his plan. He chose you. He also knows in verse 5 that the gospel came in word. Now, notice exactly what he says there. Because our gospel came to you not only in word. He's going to say it comes in some other ways, and we will talk about those in a moment. But it's important that we realize the gospel has to be communicated. For years, the church has struggled on two different sides of the spectrum. I can remember as a uh, young college student, I was working in a church in uh, South Carolina, Chester, South Carolina. And there working in that church on weekends, one of the things, it was a small Baptist church, and one of the ministries they had was a ministry in the jail. And so there were a group of us that would attend would go to this church on the weekends, and then we would go into the jail and take that responsibility for the pastor there. But I can remember the pastor comparing what they were doing to another church in town. And the other church in town was a Bible-preaching church, but when they went into the jails on their Sunday in the rotation, they took sandwiches to all the individuals that were in the jail, and they provided a meal for them. And the pastor we were working on said, what a waste of time and resources to take that food to those prisoners. We don't do that. What we do is we take them the gospel. Well, I believe the other church was taking the gospel too, but in case you haven't noticed, people that, that are hungry tend to listen better when they have some food that they can eat. There needs to be a balance between the works that we do out of compassion for people and the presenting of the gospel, but it doesn't have to be one or the other. It needs to be both and. Now, the gospel didn't come to them just in word, but for you to be saved, it must be in word. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And they will not know the gospel that the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that the gospel is that Christ, who he is, died what he did, was buried, and rose again the third day. That is the gospel. And that is what we need to share with others. 
Because apart from the gospel, we are missing the most important thing. I like the motto of one of our partners, World Health, where their motto is help for today and hope for tomorrow. We don't choose one or the other. We have to do both. And Paul says that he knows that the gospel came to them in words. Paul knows that very well because he's the one who preached it to them. I know what I shared with you while I was there and how a church was formed. But it didn't come just in word. The gospel also came in power. The word used there is the word from which we get our word dynamite, dunamis, power. Do you realize there's power in the gospel? Do you realize there's power in the word of God? And Paul looked back and he said, I am thankful because I know that the gospel came to you in word, but not only in word. It's not word by itself. It came to them in word and in power. And then also notice in verse 5, the gospel came in the Spirit. It came by the Holy Spirit. And that should be an encouragement to all of us as we share with people who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's not dependent on our power. It's not dependent on what we do for that life change that must take place place, but it is a work of God that is done in word and in power by the Holy Spirit. You know, often as I meet with individuals who who they are having problems with relationships, whether it's in their family or others around their family, I have to remind them not to play the Holy Spirit. Do you have a tendency sometimes, as I do, to want to play the Holy Spirit? Uh We have to let the Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And Paul says he knows that the gospel that came to them came in the Holy Spirit, and the gospel came with conviction, steadfastness. It doesn't change. And the believers in Thessalonica were rooted in the gospel. And then in verses 6 through 10, he is giving thanks to God for what they became. For what they became. Notice what he says in verses 6 through 10. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say Paul gives thanks for what they have become there in the city of Thessalonica. They have become, he says, first of all, imitators. Imitators. 
Now, they've done so, he says in verse 6. They received the word with much affliction. They were being persecuted there in Thessalonica. The word that's used for affliction is a word that means something that is severe and that presses you to the limit. In spite of that, pressure against them. They, Paul says in verse 6, that they have become imitators of us and of the Lord. I like how those two go hand in hand. You know, there are places where the Apostle Paul says, follow me. There are other places where he qualifies it and says, follow me as I follow the Lord. Now, there's not a single one of us that never stumble, never sin, never fall, never have a problem in our lives. All of us. Paul had his own struggles. We read about them in his epistles in places where he shares. But he said they have become imitators of not only him. And see, it's not wrong to be an imitator of someone who is a godly person as long as you don't put them on the same pedestal as Christ. And as long as you follow someone, as long as they're following the Lord. So Paul says that when he thinks of them, he gives thanks because they become imitators of him and of the Lord in spite of the opposition that has come to them. Not only are they imitators, but in verses 7 to 10, he says they are examples. Verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers. And he goes on and shares where their influence has gone. He says that this example on their part, verse 8 says, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. In Macedonia, Achaia, and it has gone forth everywhere, he says. Think of that. Their example has gone everywhere. And in verse 8, when it says, your example has sounded forth, that word for sounding forth means the beating of a cymbal. Now, imagine a great big cymbal, a great big gong, here on the stage. If I had thought of it earlier, I would have had one here, and I would have walked over and hit that cymbal. And you, you, you know what that sounds like, right? That is what the influence of this church has accomplished. Their following of the Lord, their example in their lives has sounded forth through neighboring areas, through other cities, and then everywhere. So Paul is thankful for these believers. He's thankful for what he remembers about them. He is thankful for what he knows about them. And he is thankful for what they have 
become. Friends, as I consider this congregation of believers, I'm thankful in all of those areas for you, the members of this church. So what's our challenge? Let's go away with three things this morning. First of all, be thankful. We all have things to be thankful for. Be thankful. Have a spirit of thanksgiving. Give thanks to God always. Whenever you're starting to feel down, focus on God and the work that he's done in you and give thanks. Secondly, let's make sure that we are trusting in our Lord. You may be here today or you may be watching online. My question to you, have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you do not know Christ as Savior, you need to put your faith and trust in the one and only one who can save you. He is the only way into heaven. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. But, you know, the trusting of God is not just for salvation. It's for every part of our lives to trust in God. And we need to examine, are there areas that we're not trusting God in? Are we trusting God with our finances? Are we trusting God with our work? Are we trusting God with our family? And the list can go on and on and on. Are we trusting God? And then thirdly, let's follow Jesus. See, if we trust him, we will follow him. And so whatever decision is before you, if it is clear what God would have you do, then follow what God would have you do. He placed the spirit of God within us to guide us and direct us. So let's be obedient in following God. And by doing so, as we are imitators of God, and as a local church, as we are examples to people in this community and to people around the world, let's give because God has blessed us, and all glory goes to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for its clarity. And Lord, I thank you for this body of believers and for how you have worked in all of our lives. You have grown us. You have matured us. You have blessed us, and we thank you for that. In the name of our Savior Jesus, amen.